Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ, Bucky, and Rhett with you on a Tuesday. Uh, And we have got a lot to get into today. Uh, Normally, you know, I'm fired up about the show. We've got some fun topics. This one is the best of the year because of what we were given uh, by the college football gods last night to get into uh, those semifinal games, as well as uh, looking back and looking Mm -hmm. ahead a little bit on the NFL side of things. But, uh, boys, it's great to see you. Uh, I want to jump right in. No no happy talk at the top. I want to jump right in, and I want to start with the Rose Bowl, uh, which was an incredible game. Uh, Michigan ends up coming back, uh, mm-hmm. beating Alabama in overtime. Rhett, I know you were at the game, uh, so I'm going to let Bucky start. Go ahead, Buck. What do you think? <laughs> Look, man, it was a great game, and I was conflicted because I love the way both teams, the way both teams go about their business. I love old-school, hard-nosed football, I love run game, defense, and all those things. And we got a chance to see all of that. To me, what was really impressive was the adjustments that coaches made throughout the course of the game to take this game into really like an overtime affair. Uh, It's one where Michigan came out. They were kind of dominating with their defense. Alabama makes an adjustment. They come back. Michigan with under four minutes left. They put together a drive. They go for it on a fourth down with a, a, a clever little tactic where they get four strong, deliver it out to Blake Corm, and then J.J. McCarthy deals down the stretch. Um, To me, I I just think when you have great coaching matchups, you have great teams playing, you have the kind of game that we saw play out in the Rose Bowl. And so I couldn't be more excited as a guy who's really a college football fan. So I just want to start with the fact that we talk and there is so much conversation about all that is wrong with college football and with college athletics. Now you want to talk Mm -hmm. about NIL and transfer portal and playoff expansion and conference realignment. If you were out there in Pasadena yesterday underneath the crystal blue skies in 65 degree weather, when this thing kicked off at the most iconic venue in all of college sports with 96,000 people in attendance. That is why we love college football. 
you could just sit there outside. So I was sitting there outside and watching everyone walk in front of that, you know, iconic entrance to the Rose Bowl, right? With the script Rose Bowl mm. out there. And you could just watch their faces, right? And it was like, it was pure joy. And it was just, it was a sight, man. It was, it was everything that we should be excited about and everything that we should celebrate about college football. Now, like once the game kicked off, um, I was shocked that Michigan was in this game to begin with based on all the mistakes they made early on. Like JJ McCarthy was trying to give Alabama mm -hmm. the football in the first play of the game. Uh, then you had Samaj Morgan mm -hmm. dropping the football, giving Alabama the first touchdown of the game. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be a long day. Somehow Michigan's mm -hmm. able to overcome that. And it was an ebb and flow. you got to deal with the swings of this game. And that's what college football should be about on that stage in the college football playoff. Um, there were times where both teams went cold on offense and even on defense. But Michigan proved that I think they were the more physically dominant team for the majority of the game. And that showed at the very end, last driver regulation for them, sending it to OT. And then the two play drive in overtime was what Michigan football is all about. It's Blake Corum. It's power run game. It's him mm -hmm. refusing to be denied DJ to get into the end zone and then stuffing yeah, Jalen Milrow on fourth down. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, again, uh, I did not love the uh, the play call there by Alabama at the end, but I want to start on the Michigan side of things. This felt like we we all love the NCAA tournament as as college basketball fans. Mm -hmm. Michigan felt like that team that had all the seniors. You know, you've got other teams that in, mm -hmm. in maybe you have more talent. Now, I don't think Alabama had more talent than them in this game, but it felt like a hardened, experienced team that didn't panic when things got a little off with the special teams miscues that they had. They were able to recover, rebound. Fourth down, you're able to kind of slow everything down heartbeat-wise and just execute. It just felt like mm -hmm. one of those college basketball teams that had been playing together for a long time. They did not get rattled there, and they found a way to win. When really, to be honest with you, having watched a lot of Michigan, this was not their, their best. Um, I mean, they've got a lot mm -hmm. better game in them than what they displayed in this one. I'll give Alabama credit. Um, you know, one of the things about Alabama is their the, the adjustments that they made, you know, from what they got five sacks in the first half, and then they came out and said, you know, we're going to run the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, did a better job there, and I think they only gave one sack, I believe, in the second half. So they made some corrections there. But one of the things about them, uh, Buck, it, it's like the little things in these games that you appreciate. When, uh, when the quarterback fumbles, when Milrow fumbles, and it looked like, man, this is going to change the whole game. Alabama's defense goes right up. back out there, sudden change, and they get and they just stand up and get a mm -hmm. stop. I was like, man, this is for all the talk we we use about you know mental or physical toughness. This both these mm -hmm. teams incredibly mentally tough, uh, which I thought was a good lesson for anybody. Yeah, look, it, it, as a high school coach, I, I certainly took that away from it. DJ, um, the first part of you guys talk about Michigan kind of imploding at the beginning. Uh, I immediately tweeted like, man. Part of why Alabama wins so many of these games is they just wait for the other team to implode. Like, they typically don't beat themselves, and Michigan was doing a really good job of doing it. Uh, J.J. McCarthy appears to throw an interception the first play. It's overruled. The special teams gaffes that you guys alluded to, and that doesn't even include at the very end of the game where the guy muffs the punt. <laughs> it dribbles back to the one-yard line. He picks it up, and luckily he didn't fumble. Well, they call it timeout, too. Someone muff it, pick it up. And, and like all of that stuff. And so to me, um, look, man, when you, when you have young people and you're playing and coaching and all of that stuff, I think it's great. But I want to kind of talk about like Michigan and staying true to the identity. Right. So um, for all of us who have watched Jim Harbaugh kind of make his trek 
his coaching trek from USD to Stanford to the 49ers to now Michigan, we've always known that he is a power football guy, but he's also a guy who does it in a very creative fashion using unbalanced lines and all those things. The two biggest plays that Michigan had, they used some form of unbalanced to create the advantage. First on fourth and two, when they line up in trips and a snug bunch, they have Blake Quorum on the left, but then they kind of bounce motion him to the right to create what we call four strong, meaning four eligibles out to the strong side. For a team like Alabama that likes to switch everything off, you normally don't include the fourth guy into the mix. So when Blake Quorum goes into the flat, that's why he's uncovered. So I was like, hey, that's Jim Harbaugh being Jim Harbaugh. In overtime, the touchdown where we talk about Blake Quorum, they line up, and I still haven't heard anybody talk about this, they line up four to the left strong. They have a guard and a tackle and a wing. They motion the wing to the left to create five strong. Alabama never adjusts. They then run a power to put six over there. So when Blake Quorum runs, from a numerical standpoint, they have a huge advantage. And I'm just like, man, this is... I've seen Toby Gerhardt do this. I've seen everybody that Jim Harbaugh has coached has, has run this Tyler power Gaffley. play over and over and over again. I mean, and yeah. I'm like, man, hats off to him for keeping it real. I appreciate that about him, just like I appreciate what Nick Saban was able to do with a team that now that we can reflect on it. Look, this team wasn't one of the four best teams. They deserve to be in the playoffs because they knocked off Georgia. But they overachieved yeah. with what they have because if you look at this team compared to old Alabama teams, they didn't really have a dynamic threat on the perimeter. The quarterback was a runner, not a thrower. Offensive and defensive lines are not necessarily dominant like they used to, but he got them there. So I can appreciate the work that he did to get them to this point. So a couple of things here on, on what you mentioned about the schematic advantages that Michigan was creating there. That, that's what they've done all year long, especially in big games. They are one of the more schematically and competitively arrogant teams out there. Like they will overload one side, like you're talking about and run it right there. Right. And challenge you to stop them and challenge <laughs> you to make the adjustments. Right. They, they don't care if they, I mean, like six to the left to six to the strong side. Fine. We're still going to run to the strong side. Like you think we're going to run to the strong side. You better believe we are stop us. Like, and that's what they did all year long. I had that in my notes from rewatching a Penn State and the Ohio State game. Obviously, you know what happened in the second half of the Penn State game there. Just decided that we were going to be the better and more physically dominant team. And they were when it mattered. Um, I, I a couple of things I was disappointed with. Like, I, I really thought that Dallas Turner and Braswell were going to create more havoc in this game than they did, especially on a Michigan tackles. Like, I thought Michigan was a little bit stronger in the interior um, and that they might have some weakness there on the edge. They, those guys, those edge rushers for Alabama were minimized. Now, J.J. McCarthy didn't sit back there and have too many classic drop back throws, which, again, credit to the game plan, right? You know, that's probably mm -hmm. not an area where you're going to be in advantageous situations. And so they minimized it um, and they ran the ball when they needed to. And, you know, the other thing I don't you know, I don't know what um, I didn't think Latham played his best game at right tackle for Alabama either. I thought the Michigan edge rushers played their best game of the season. Uh, McGregor in particular had a couple of the sacks and then that front, like Mason Graham's going to be a dude. Um, Chris Jenkins is a dude. I mean, they, they rotate four or five deep in that defensive tackle group. Um, and it's just, they are, they are strong and they were the more physically dominant team up front on both sides of the ball for the majority of the games each. Yeah, no doubt. We'll uh, wrap it up with this. Uh, just to kind of summarize what you guys are talking about and what we're saying here. I remember when Harbaugh first got to Stanford and going up there on visits. And I remember at that time, many, many, many years ago, hearing the phrase for the first time, intellectual brutality. 
Um, and that's that's mm-hmm. what it is. They are they are not only physical, they're incredibly smart, and that extends not just from the coaches, but to the players. They get guys that can handle all this that they're giving to them. So that's been their philosophy. And then defensively, I tweeted this out during the game, and we've talked about it on the show before. Uh, the Michigan defense, the Baltimore defense, and we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show, they're going to be mimicked, mm-hmm. they're going to be copied, they're going to be plucked in terms of people trying to get those guys. We'll go a little bit deeper, uh, dive on that a little bit later. Uh, they're going to f- be facing a different opponent, though, a different style of opponent, and a much more uh, mm-hmm. lethal passing attack this coming week because Washington kind of put on display, uh, Buck, what they were against Texas, which was really, if you, you know, the game ended up being close. It didn't feel close until the very end with kind of a weird scenario that took place Mm -hmm. at the end of this ball game. Um, But if not for a turnover on downs, it felt like like they were a good 14, 17 points better than Texas watching that ball game. Yeah, look, man, UW has has answered the bell numerous times. I just remember the Pac-12 title game, even though they had knocked off Oregon before, everyone was saying Oregon's the better team. And they knocked them off again. And what I can appreciate about UW is, man, they are explosive and dynamic on offense. But in spite of all the, the flash and the pizzazz and all that, it's a hard-nosed, grizzled team at the end of You think about the number of close games that this team has been in and won, how they've been able to battle back through all the adversity. Them being able to stand up in that situation at the end of the game where, look, a, a, a injury and a clock snafu kind of puts them in a situation where they're having to defend the field against more time and the ball is at the 12 yard line with a couple snaps to go and they're able to stand up to me man you talk about a team that has an unbreakable undeniable spirit that's what UW has and you're right Michigan is facing a different animal because the speed on the outside the playmakers and the skill on the outside particularly on UW's offense is going to be a challenge for Michigan I mean it's a great matchup that I can't wait to see so, uh, full disclosure, I, I was on my way home from the Rose Bowl, was listening to the game the first half on the oh radio. Oh, my gosh. Up, yeah. Yeah. Ended up calling DJ, <laughs> and I was we were just talking about some of the things we saw in the Rose Bowl, and he was kind of giving me the play-by-play of some of the stuff that Michael Penix was doing in this game. And I went back home and watched the second half uh, with Kane on the couch. And, mm-hmm. I mean – there were times when we were we were talking about something that wasn't happening in the game. And like I'd watch Michael Penix make a throw and like you just get up off your seat for a second. And you're like, come on. Like that throw to McMillan in the end zone for the touchdown in the second half. Ooh. A 25 yard frozen mm-hmm. rope. Like, come on. Like that stuff. Dark. So here's the thing that here's the thing that kind of kept uh, coming back to me because DJ and I were talking about, you know, like, all right, you know, Penix isn't the most mobile guy out there, right? Maybe he looks a little stiff, but he can move around pretty well in the pocket. And sure enough, we get into the second half and they start going QB design run. He starts running. Like, and like effectively, now this, the slides were a little <laughs> awkward. We'll work on that. Um, but doesn't this kind of ring to you guys a little bit like the conversation around CJ Stroud last year? Like without question was the most talented, you know, passer in the draft, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, well, he's a little, you know, doesn't really move around all that much, doesn't really have that mobility, but he had enough, right? He had enough and he showcased it a couple of different times, including in the college football playoff. And so I think that's kind of what Michael Penix did, because I'm telling you right now, his accuracy and the way that ball gets from point A to point B, well, that's second to mm-hmm. none for me right now in these quarterbacks that are going to be coming out. Yeah, and, and you know, going through that conversation, I, I was telling Rhett that this evaluation is all medical. I mean, to me, I, I and I can't, I haven't mm-hmm. been able to generate as much support around the league, and maybe that'll change as we go through this uh, this next week here. 
But I, I really like him. I gave him a good grade, and then you talk to folks around the league, and they maybe weren't mm-hmm. quite as high on him. And, and some of the things we were talking about here, oh, you mm-hmm. know, he's, a, he's stiff. I don't know, he can, he can create, make things happen. And then mm-hmm. really, he's one knee injury away from not, you know, you're not missing a year. It could be, you know, more serious than that when you've had a couple ACLs. So the medical thing, that's another conversation we'll have uh, as we get closer to the draft. It'll be different by team. Some, I think, will be uh, more positive about it mm-hmm. than others. But, man, there's no denying how the ball jumps out of his hand. I mean, it explodes out of his hand. And he is accurate driving the ball, layering the ball, throwing the ball deep. Um, and that is similar to Stroud from that standpoint. Now, the, the the one thing that Stroud had is Stroud had durability and health. Uh, he had that box checked. So that's, you know, that's going to be one of the uh, deciding factors there. But, man, he can absolutely rip it. And I know one thing, Buck, um, I, I said last week we, had, we did our discussion on wideouts. And I said, and a lot of people kind of, you know, gave me the mm-hmm. raised eyebrow. I said, I, I gave Romo Dunes the same grade that I gave Marvin Harrison Jr. And look yeah. at him last night, man. Like, everything you want to do. You want to run routes. You want to get on top of coverage. You want contested catches. Oh, mm-hmm. one of the things that we didn't even mention on that pod, if you go back and calculate all the pass interference that he draws, you'd stack those yards on top of his of his ledger. Mm-hmm. It would be even more impressive. Obviously, in college, you get the 15. In the NFL, these are big, big yardage plays because he does a great job of fighting uh, to get to the football. But, man, they are stacked on the outside. I, you know, the funny thing to me is when you watch them line up, their center, I think it's 275 pounds uh, at, at Washington. And those mm-hmm. Texas, you know, their DTs are massive. And I'm sitting there going, case. okay, well, Michigan, you know, maybe Michigan will move them around and push them around a little bit uh, along that front. But I don't know, when you're throwing, when you're throwing swings and, and moving the pocket, they do a pretty good job of navigating around maybe some issues they might have on the inside. On the outside, they're in great shape. The left tackle is a first-round pick. He's a great player. Uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see what this looks like in the next matchup. Real quick, uh, if we just go around the horn, the key in it, the key in the championship game, uh, what you think uh, is going to decide this thing? Well, ahead, well for me, it's, it's Michigan controlling the ball. I think it's ball possession. I think this has to be one where the running game keeps the ball away from UW. We've seen UW is explosive. They can, look, a point a minute. Uh, the way they're going. So I want to play keep away away from Michael Penance. That means running the football, controlling it, and really limiting the possessions that they'd have. Uh, this has to be one where we're playing half-court basketball for Michigan. We don't want to get in a fast-break shootout against UW. Look, I, I think this is going to come down to Michigan secondary. And they were more than up to the task. And I wasn't sure that that was going to be the case with uh, with Isaiah Bond and, and uh, Burton and the crew that mm-hmm. Alabama could throw at you. Uh, and they didn't really have to as much because their edge rushers and that pressure mm-hmm. was getting to Jalen Milrow. They got to get to Michael Penix. And then Will Johnson's got to play the game of his life at corner for Michigan. Um, you know, whether he's on Roma Dunze or McMillan or Polk or whichever one, but like that whole crew in the secondary, Mikey Samer still, that whole group, like they've got to have their best mm-hmm. game like of their lives to keep up with this Washington passing attack and, and allow Michigan to then control the game on the ground, DJ. Yeah, I'm going to say it's the most elementary thing. It's going to be tackling. And I think that tackling is going to be on the perimeter for Mm -hmm. Michigan's defense. Can they get those big receivers on the ground who, by the way, block their tails off? Um, In a year where we've talked about the George Pickens thing and and, and maybe not uh, giving the most Mm -hmm. effort in the run game, man, you want to help your run game, those wideouts from Washington all block uh, big time. So can they tackle uh, on the perimeter for Michigan? And then on the other side, can Washington slow down the run game? Can they tackle uh, and be able to stop that that uh, charge they're going to see from Blake Corum in the Michigan run game. So it's going to be fun. We'll, we'll do a little deeper dive uh, on that matchup a little bit later on in the week. But, uh, man, I cannot wait for the for next week 
to get here. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will switch gears. We'll get to the NFL, uh, looking at some of the games from this past week. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton? You know, watch Creighton. They fight. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, gonna, not the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team that cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, just I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? see the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. All right, let's change gears here. Let's get to the NFL and uh, some of the things we saw last week and what they mean going forward. I think we can start, first of all, with that Cowboys win over the Lions. Uh, guys, plenty, plenty's been said, plenty's been made of the two-point uh, conversion fiasco, uh, the number reporting situation. I mean, look, it, it is what it is. It's been covered every which way. Uh, but I do think on the Cowboys side of things, so much of the conversation, Rhett, was on the Lions uh, and them kind of getting screwed at the end of this game that I think yeah. we kind of lost track of. This is a good win for the Cowboys, and this is a Cowboys offense running through CeeDee Lamb right now. Uh, that Man, you talk about that's that's a that's a horse you can ride deep into the postseason the way that CeeDee Lamb is rolling right now. It reminds me a little bit of what he's doing now. reminds me a little bit of the Fitzgerald run uh, during the Super Bowl with Kurt Warner. Mm-hmm. You remember that? It was like nobody could cover him. Good one. Uh, that's what it good feels one. like when you're watching CeeDee Lamb right now. I feel like I want to know what that 88 Club group text is like right now. 
you know, with, uh, with, with Irv and, and the, the whole crew, like, I, I feel like that thing is kind of blown up right over the course of the last eight weeks with the way CD has absolutely gone off in particular since that 49ers game where the, where the Cowboys took that big L. I mean, like he's kind of uncoverable right now. And it's really fun to watch like what this offense can be like when you've got one of those elite weapons out there. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's going to break, you know, Cal- who's breaking Cowboys, you know, franchise records here. And we talk about guys that wear that number and play that position for that franchise. It does mean something just a little bit more. And I think he's done a great job of kind of understanding expectation and thriving in the midst of all that pressure and that anxiety that comes with with being one of those guys that that is dependent on for this team, um, Bucky. And, and I, I think you know it's um, I, I think it's one of those things that could fuel this team on a playoff run uh, when you have a guy that's playing this well. Look, man, you, you talk about fueling a playoff run. A couple of things happened. Like we can talk about the officiating errors and how it played out and how the Cowboys won their game. But the Philadelphia Eagles falling apart and allowing the Dallas Cowboys to win and claim the division and the number one seed, number two seed, that gives them a pathway to the Super Bowl. This team plays uh, significantly better at home. They're averaging 37, almost 38 points per game. There's a, almost a 22-point differential between points scored and points allowed when they play at home. So to give this team an opportunity to play at home in front of their fans where their offense can get going. We've seen Dak Prescott light it up at home. We've seen their defense rely on the crowd noise to be able to heat up that pass rush and create turnovers. This team is well positioned to make that deep postseason run that everyone um, has talked about for years. And when I'm looking at Dak Prescott and the connection that he has with Mike McCarthy and how they're really running it through number four via 88, uh, look, it's a tough team. And the only thing to me that can trip this team up is their inability to run it when they need to run it. Their inability to run it to close out games. Tony Pollard and crew, like they still have to be able to run the game out because you don't want to see issues that affected them at the end of the game when they throw on second down and the other team doesn't have timeouts and it's an incomplete pass and you allow the Detroit Lions to be able to get back into it. Game management, running the football in critical situations. Cowboys need to work on that this final week or so as they get ready for the postseason. Yeah, one thing positive on the Lions side of things, if you're going to get kind of screwed over a little bit, much rather have it happen in the regular season uh, than in the postseason. And as Dan Campbell said, control fury. Uh, that's going to be the name of a lot of fantasy mm-hmm. teams next year. Controlled Fury uh, there for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> so they've got a chance. Everything's still out in front of them. Uh, they can bottle up all that energy, maybe a couple more venties with a couple more shots, uh, and they'll be ready to go once we get to the postseason. So I know it's it's they don't want, Lions fans don't want to hear. I know they're upset about it, but they're they're still a very dangerous team uh, in the mix in the NFC. Get over the AFC, uh, Buck Ravens Dolphins. The Ravens have the number one seed. We'll get to their side of things in a second here. But Miami um, shorthanded a little bit in this game. And, uh, and man, they came out mm-hmm. of it hurting as well. They lose Chubb. So when you, when you look now at their defensive front and what it looked like you know, six weeks ago to what it looks like now uh, with the injuries that they've suffered with their, both their edge rushers, man, that, it's hard to feel mm-hmm. great about Miami going you know, not only into this week against Buffalo, but into the tournament now with, with what they're missing up front. Uh, It puts more pressure on the offense. I think now they have to try and figure out a way they can turn every game into a shootout before they can think about maybe adopting a complimentary style against some of the opponents that they played against. Now, this has to be 
Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, trying to see if they can get to 40 points each and every week. That means a little more risk-taking, uh, a little edginess in terms of being aggressive as a play caller. They have to approach the game each week. Hey, we got to outscore our opponent because defensively, they just don't have the personnel to be able to do it. When you lose Bradley Chubb and you've already lost Jalen Phillips, you've lost your ability to really get after the passer. You have Xavier Howard who's nursing an injury. It, it, it's just a shell of what they thought they were going to have available getting into the postseason. So defensively, you can't depend on that part of it. It has to be an offensive-led uh, uh, situation in the postseason. That means Mike McDaniels, he has to be on his P's and Q's to make sure this offense can get up and going. Puts a lot more pressure on Tua Tagovailoa. Look, this is a team that's actually, you know, has had their fair share of injuries, you know, throughout the year, even on the offensive side. I mean, Teron Armstead has been in and mostly out of the lineup at left tackle. Connor Williams missed a bunch of games at center. Raheem Mostert was down this game. And I think Raheem Mostert is a huge part of this offense. And, uh, you know, obviously with the touchdowns that he scored is, you know, he's on an epic run this year. But missing him, you know, not having him in the fold last week did did hurt. Um, it, it felt like in, in Devon Achan, you know, had a, you know, did have a touchdown in the second half as Waddle. they tried to kickstart. Yeah. Waddle being down. I mean, like it, it makes a difference uh, because I think part of what makes this offense so great is that you have to deal with so many different options. Right. And that's why we see Tyreek get off so many different times and why you see Mostert find success in the run game too, because, you know, you've got a, when you have that full complement, it is so hard to defend. So I do think health plays a big role ult ultimately in what this Miami Dolphins team is going to be able to accomplish this year. And no doubt. Um, see if they can get healthy going into this week as well as uh, into the postseason, if they can uh, still be a dangerous team that we thought they would be going back a month ago. Uh, let's uh, let's switch gears here. We want to talk about the Ravens here. And if you look at the leaders in the league in sacks, not a surprise the Baltimore Ravens are right there at the top of the list, followed by uh, some potential playoff teams here. Obviously, the Chiefs mm -hmm. are in, Dolphins are in. Uh, we'll see with the Bills and Colts. Uh, but again, it's not a surprise. We always talk about quarterback play and pass rush as being the two key ingredients to championship football at this time of year. And Buck, when you look at the Ravens, how they've done it, I, I hinted at this earlier. When you look at how they play and you look at how Michigan plays at the college level, this is a brand of defense mm -hmm. that's going to be copied in the copycat world that we live in. They're going to mm -hmm. get cherry-picked off both of those staffs as teams try and implement this. Mm -hmm. What is it that stands out to you when you watch this Ravens defense and pass rush? Uh, DJ, is something that all of us have talked about for the last few years is positionless football. Like We've talked about taking a set of athletes that have uh, interchangeable skills and putting them together on a defense and being able to match it with any and every style that you could possibly face. When I look at the Baltimore Ravens and I look at the pieces that they have in place from up front with Calvin Noy being versatile, uh, Matibuike being a versatile impact player on the inside, Jadavian Clowney. Then you go to the second level where you have Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith who are both fast. Kyle Hamilton, who's a hybrid linebacker safety. Uh, Gene, Geno Stone being able to play in the back end. They have a bunch of different guys that can give you contributions um, as rushers, as playmakers. As, as I'm thinking about how the football continues, the game continues to advance, I think you're going to see more teams who have those height, weight, speed athletes that have diverse toolboxes that are able to do a bunch of different things. And then you just need to have the mastermind that can put it together. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun to watch the Ravens play and on the heels of the Ravens and Michigan, the success that they're having basically using the same scheme, you absolutely can bank on 
other teams trying to copy and mimic what they're doing. You know, and, and I love that that look at it from the scheme perspective. I, I'd also look at it from, you know, what we cover a bunch here on Move the Sticks uh, from the roster construction uh, standpoint here. I, you know, I don't know that we talk about development enough, you know, in this league. Uh, draft and develop, right? Mm-hmm. And understand what your what your team mm-hmm. needs and how your your coordinators and your, your head coach are going to utilize the pieces that you give them as a personnel, uh, you know, operation. And I think it particularly on defense that this group, you know, with Eric DaCosta understands what John Harbaugh and what Mike, Mike McDonald, what that whole crew want and need to be successful. And then understand that, you know, they're going to give them some guys that if you if they get developed properly are going to turn into stars. Like how many times have we talked about Brandon Stevens this year? Guy who's played over a thousand snaps at corner, mm-hmm. third round pick out of SMU two years ago. But what Geno Stone has done as a seventh round pick out of Iowa, second leading interception guy in the league right now with seven. Uh, he is having an absolute breakout year. He's played over 900 snaps um, and is a ball hawk back there. And then obviously Kyle Hamilton gives you the chess piece, right? That Bucky that you're talking about. But how about consistency, too? We're just talking about the Dolphins and health. Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith. Queen has played 1,069 snaps and Roquan has played 1,066 snaps. How many teams can say that about that inside off the ball linebacker pairing that plays such a big role in what this defense ultimately does? And then obviously Matabike, uh, Matabike is having, you know, his best year. So like you're seeing guys develop and obviously these are guys that have been drafted into this and have been brought in, uh, you know, through a variety of different ways to fill needs in specific roles. Like look at Kyle Van Noy. We've talked about that a bunch, like utilizing all avenues to find the best players for your defense, DJ. Yeah. Also Michael Pierce is about 370 pounds in the middle of that mm-hmm. defense. Yes. So you can do a lot of different things when, uh, when you've got somebody that can eat up as much space as he does, not to mention getting him on undersized center and letting him walk them back uh, to the quarterback. The, uh, our buddy Dan Orlovsky used the phrase, the, the spine of the defense. We always talk about building up the middle. We've talked about it forever on here. Bucky referenced it mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, but it's really kind of that spine. They are sturdy and strong in the middle yeah. of the field, and that works not only against the run but against the pass. And you've got linebackers that you better be able to cover. And it reminds me a little bit with them, and this will get us to the 49ers here, uh, when we talk about the importance of off-the-ball linebackers and, and both these organizations believe in it. I think this Ravens off-the-ball linebacker group kind of reminds me of that Navarro Bowman uh, – uh, gosh, Patrick why am I drawing mm. a blank here on the uh, – Pat Willis. Mm-hmm. Patrick Willis. Yeah, that, yeah. that duo that they had. That 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 is very similar with how those guys play because you don't have to take them off the field. They can stay out there and cover. You want to stay out there and passing downs? No problem. They can both run and cover all day long. Backs, tight ends, uh, getting vertical down the field can still find and play the ball. Um, that's one of the things that stands out. And obviously, as we get to the 49ers here, uh, a team that's locked up the number one seed in the other conference, uh, another defense, Rhett, that's built right up the middle uh, with the strength that they have and, uh, and a team that I, I think – the Ravens and the 49ers, what makes them the number one seed is that they can play in a variety of games. You want to get in a bloodbath, they're fine doing that. You want to get in a shootout, I mm-hmm. think there's enough ammunition offensively they can do that as well. Yeah, sure. And looking at what the 49ers have done, I think you know for so long we've talked about the depth up front, right? The depth that pass, the ways they, they can rotate guys through along the defensive line and create havoc there. And obviously we were just talking about the off-the-ball backers for the Ravens. You know, got you got a dang good pair there in San Francisco as well with Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw. But I think more so this year than than in recent years, 
they've developed, obviously they signed and or drafted and developed some really good cornerbacks now. Traverius Ward's playing some really good football. Diamador Lenore has come in and made some big plays for this team at times. You go back to last week, I think each one of them had a pick. Um, I, I feel like they're better equipped in the secondary this year than maybe they have been in recent years to match what they do, Bucky, up front. Yeah, no, they, they absolutely are equipped. And they're doing it a little differently with Steve Wilkes in the fold, a little more quarters. They use some man-to-man. They've done some different things. I, I think the bigger lesson that we all can take in looking at the way these two teams are constructed, one, we always talk about line play being essential. We always talk about defensive and offensive fronts, being able to control the trenches. So that stands out. Uh, the other thing, DJ, you talked about being strong right down the middle. When you, you look at uh, at a time when teams are not investing in linebackers, we talk about, oh, you can't take a top in off-the-ball linebacker early. Oh, you don't want to pay off-the-ball linebackers. We're seeing two teams that are built on playing bully ball, playing with physicality, toughness, uh, dominating the middle of the field. They're willing to invest in those positions. And so I know sometimes we can get cute as we're trying to study how to build teams and where we can kind of cut and maybe you can win in the margins. I think the Ravens and the Niners are showing us that a old school football still wins and not necessarily stylistically, but old school in terms of the way you construct your team. You better have some guys that can run, hit, cover, that can enforce and they can play different styles and impose their wills on the opponent. I think you're seeing both of those guys and a lot of it is because at the second level, they have athletes who are really instinctive and physical football players and those guys are able to change the game. Yeah, no doubt. Um, they are those teams. You know, no no secret that they're both uh, holding down the number one seeds with the Ravens and uh, the Forty ers teams that are built similarly. Uh, they met up once. It went the Ravens' way in a strong fashion. Maybe they uh, maybe they're going to meet up again in Las Vegas. We will wait and see. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today. Again, uh, Ravens and the 49ers doing things the right way. I think we can all agree on that one. Uh, This has been a fun episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. We will be back tomorrow with a brand new episode of Move the Sticks. We'll see you then. Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 